Hi, and welcome back to More Than a Lumpy Jumper. This week, we have the wonderful Kelly Swingler as a guest. She's the HR anti-burnout coach and author of Mind the Gap, a story of burnout, breakthrough and beyond. We're going to be talking about burnout, funnily enough. So come join us for Being with Kelly Swingler. Today, we are joined by Kelly Swingler, who is here to talk to us today about burnout. Now, Kelly's just sort of been introduced to Bridget. She doesn't know me very well at all, just through a mutual friend. Hello, Michelle Harvey. Another shout out. Although the last time I did it, I was trying to say something about the HR Geek Squad being irreverent, and I called them irrelevant instead. <laughs> so so I feel like I need to actually set the record straight that that's not the case. It is irreverent. And so I'm pretty sure that Kelly Swingler, being friends with Michelle Hartley, is absolutely the right person for Bobby and Bridge to have on their podcast. Because I saw something this morning that said that she is a rebel and a rule breaker. So I feel like you are in very good company. So massive welcome, Kelly. I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you very much for the invite. I'm excited to see where it goes and, and clearly like no pressure now, right? No pressure at all because we, <laughs> we're always very excited to see how this goes because we haven't got a clue. We found out that we're quite bad at prepping, quite bad at planning. Actually, we are becoming exceptional completer finishers because we have managed to actually put episodes out, which is a, a joy. Well, there you go. And I think planning and preparation is all highly overrated anyway. I think you're just expert wingers that clearly don't need to do it. That's that's my motto with everything that I do right just rock up be your best and just do what needs to happen and so we have already said that this might be a snort fest this morning because of how (laughs) we are all feeling or a cough fest but yeah we're going to just sort of like meander away I did wonder with actually just saying it was going to be a snort fest how you have been looking after yourself because you haven't been feeling very well. Yeah, I've had, don't know what it is. It's kind of a mix, like it's a a really bad cold, kind of flu type thing. I've done some COVID tests. I thought I don't want to be infecting everybody. It's come up negative. But yeah, I just feel utterly pants, if I'm honest. So it's been about four weeks now, which has been delightful. A couple of weekends ago, it literally felt like I was being kind of like stabbed in the lungs or kind of my chest was being sat on, couldn't breathe. Of course, the doctors have just said stay hydrated and take lots of paracetamol, which has been really helpful. And it's still, I'm like really still low energy. I thought it was kind of meno sweats, but I think we're kind of past that point now. So I'm just hot and cold, snotty nose, awful chest. It's delightful. Mm. So what have I been doing to look after myself? Probably not as much as I should have been, if I'm totally honest with you. And I always say with anything to do with burnout. I know all the theory, right? I know everything that we should all be doing. I am still the worst example of what burnout prevention should look like. I've got kind of 40 odd years of unlearning of all the kind of hustle and pushing and, you know, sleeping when you're dead mentality and pushing to the top and all of those sorts of things. So I am still unlearning all of that. I have been taking rest in between client work and appointments. I have been completely switching off kind of mid-afternoons into the evenings. I have been taking lots of rest at weekends. I have been sleeping lots. I have been eating, um, or probably more like slurping, lots of kind of soups. Uh, But yeah, just really kind of staying hydrated. So as I speak to you this morning, I have got my protein shake, my vegan protein shake, 
my peppermint tea, my water and a rose latte. I have already had my kind of vitamin C shot. So you can't say that I'm not staying hydrated because I'm fully doing that. But I'm just taking things as, as slowly as I can. I have had some days where I have cancelled appointments and other days that I haven't because it's been stuff that I've wanted to do. And I think sometimes we need to do the stuff that energises us. Um, so I've been doing the stuff that energises us and now I'm here with you this morning. I know, which I feel very grateful for if you have been feeling feeling rough. But my little email popped into my inbox this morning from you and saying that struggle between, and you've just said it there, about knowing what's good for you. And yet mm-hmm. still doing, I think just before we went on record, we were talking about being poorly, but then staying up drinking till 3.30am in the morning and it's taking us... <laughs> quite a while which is why Bridget's been very quiet so far this morning I'm just sort of like giving her a moment you can come in in a minute love thanks Bobby yeah we're not I I I, we'll just quite qualify I've not been staying up till 3 30 in the morning drinking oh god God. (laughs) Kelly I'm so sorry that we've just ruined your reputation (laughs) we'll just clarify that point right I've not I've not been up till 3 30 in the morning (laughs) (laughs) no the group that we call culture vulvas and dinner dildos was up for quite a long session um, including some really lovely whiskey named after me so it seemed to be one of the things that we had to do kelly i think i've got the same thing as you because i've had this running around for a couple of weeks now and it's now just suddenly ratched up a level all of the things you've described i am experiencing but i'm super super intrigued by your rose latte because I can see it on the video obviously no one else can it's beautiful beautiful pink color so I want to know more about that just to start off so it's by a company called blends so I work with an Ayurvedic coach I got an annual yoga retreat every year um, and the last few years that I've been to India I've done an Ayurvedic retreat I would actually be starting to study as an Ayurvedic coach from January. But the lady that I work with is a lady called Claire Perfetus. She's based in the UK, down south. And she has just started a company called Blends, which is basically Ayurvedic. So they're caffeine-free, completely natural blends that you can get. So there is a turmeric latte, there is a rose latte, and there is a moon milk and I've I just I've started having one of those or a couple of those every day and they're they're, they're delicious, absolutely delicious. And this one is a rose latte is obviously very pink. Okay, cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm sitting here feeling guilt ridden that there may well be suddenly a lot more listeners because Kelly is so so well known, and I've just almost ruined her reputation by making out that she could have been participating in our disgusting behaviour Bridget so I just want to make it very clear that the reason that we have got Kelly with us today to talk out how to look after yourself and and how to overcome burnout is because you and I are really bad at looking after ourselves and I think that we just need to make that very very clear here ended the lesson (laughs) (laughs) what I love Kelly is that you own also the fact that even though you're doing lots of things to keep looking after yourself, that you also don't succeed every single time. And I think that that's a real issue for people. I've I've suffered a burnout myself and looking back on things, it's really surprising how I let myself get to that stage. But at the time, I was completely 
rolled up in a whole sort of series of things that I couldn't see the bigger picture and made changes when I went back to work or tried to make changes when I went back to work. But there was so much pushback that I actually eventually left the organisation that I was working for because I did realise, I think, I've been stalking your website a little bit recently and so many of the rules are really, really simple, but it is it's obviously things that we fail to do again and again and again. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of that is is it's part of the world that we live in right rest is not something that any of us that any of us ever kind of feel the need to do it's not something that we've ever been kind of taught is beneficial you know again and I, I kind of put in in my LinkedIn post this morning as as I've kind of written because I, I did an additional podcast of my own this morning as Bobby's already mentioned but around the the need to be unlearning right from the very time that I was at school and I, my parents would say I kind of came out of the womb like it but I think I was always wanting to do my very best I was moved up a year at school and there was very much this kind of thing like you had to maintain a certain level now that wasn't necessarily pressure from my parents but actually you know the teachers there was an expectation that you had to do this stuff to maintain a certain level when I started at secondary school there was this you know perception that you had to maintain a certain level because I'd been moved up a year at school I was the youngest person in my secondary school. I had attained a certain level of grades and the pressure was there to then try and continue to do that. You would get awards at school for, you know, a full term or a full year with no sickness absence. I started my career in HR working for organisations where you would get certificates or an extra day's holiday for not taking any sickness absence. And I think, you know, some years I look at it, I was struggling into work with colds and flus and all sorts of stuff going on. I had to front end my maternity leave with my twin sons. I had my twins when I was 20. I had to front end a lot of my maternity leave because like my pregnancy was awful. I nearly died during labor. And yet I was back at work after four months because that's what my maternity leave said, right? So, you know, society says to us, you have to keep going. We don't regard rest. Nobody said to me, do you know what? Forget about the one extra days annual leave that we're going to give you. You take care of yourself. You know, if you need a break, if you need some time out, take some time off, recover, do everything that it is that you need to do to look after yourself. Nobody was saying that. It was push harder. And I have written about a few times, actually. So as part of my first burnout, one of the things that I developed was severe endometriosis. And one of the operations that I had to have was an endometrial ablation, which put me straight into menopause at 32. But in the run up to that, I can remember the, the agonising pain. I mean, the pain was so severe that I was passing out from the level of this pain. And yet I would still get phone calls. And I remember one day in particular, the head of diversity and inclusion, I was due to have a meeting with her. And she rang me to say, I'm really struggling with period pain today. Like, I'm just not coming into the office. I'm not going to have a conversation with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine. And then put the phone down. And I was like, who the bloody hell does she think she is, right? You don't just miss work because you've got period pains. Like, what about the rest of us that are really struggling? And that was the narrative that I had in my head. And I have written policies and procedures in my HR career that have basically said all of the stuff that we should not be doing as women. You know, that I remember the first time that I heard about like period leave 
But I remember the first time that I saw, it was on this morning, about period leave and literally losing the plot because I was like, this is going to set women's back decades. You know, this is the fight that we've been having. And this is, a, why shouldn't we actually appreciate the fact that we need to rest when we have a period, right? And I was part of that problem. And I think that is what society tells us. Society tells us that rest is bad pushing through is good, work hard, play hard, hustle harder. And so, yeah, a lot of the stuff that I talk about is really basic, but actually I focus on the basics because none of us are doing the basic stuff, right? We're not getting enough sleep. We're not eating the right food. We're not getting enough exercise. We're not outside more. We're not taking enough rest. We're not switching off our phones. We're not doing any of that stuff. And a lot of that is because we believe we are immune, right? Burnout will never happen to me. I'll never get ill. None of this stuff will ever happen. And that's the belief that we have. And that's why I think we keep on going. And then society sat next to us going, of course, push harder. You know, here's a medal for being resilient. Here's a certificate for, you know, pushing through. Here's whatever. it is, And that's the stuff that we keep on pushing through. I think it's really interesting that you say that we think we're immune because it has been a reaction from a number of people I know, and I now talk openly about the fact that I've burnt out or had a burnout. And so many people, you do feel there is an element of judgment that somehow that there is a weakness attributed to that, that other people feel well, that would never have happened to me. I am more resilient. And I'm always very careful now when I talk to people about resilience, that Resilience doesn't necessarily mean that you won't burn out because there are so many different reasons and there are so many different contexts. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I'm really interested in is this talk about period leave. And now that there's quite a lot of discussion about menopause leave coming in and HR and companies taking into account the need to recognise that women are going through something quite extraordinary when they're going through the menopause and I wondered whether you're doing any work on that I'm not doing any work specifically but I think I do you know whatever we kind of whenever there is anything talking about women's health I I talk very openly about how I think I have contributed to the problem and I work with a lot of women I don't work purely with women but I talk a lot with the women that I work with about the need for them to ask for what they need and to put themselves first. And again, I think it was probably, I'm going to say probably 2015. I think it was, you know, in the kind of run up or around the period of my second burnout, because obviously one wasn't enough. And around the period of my second burnout, I was introduced to a book called Light is the New Black. A friend of mine had recommended it, a book by a woman called Rebecca Campbell. And she very much started to talk about the cycles, you know, it was, and it was a bit kind of woo-woo, you know, if you're not into kind of woo-woo stuff, that's kind of how I first started to look at it. And so I had been kind of practicing yoga probably since about 2009, but I suppose I was in it more for the fitness side of it, right? For the, the suppleness and strength and, and everything that it was going to give you. And around 2015, my friend had introduced me to this book by Rebecca Campbell, and she was very much talking about the cycles. And it was about nature cycles and women's cycles and how every day, every week, every month, we are at a different point in our cycle and actually how we should be honouring the fact that we that we have a period every month. You know, and the fact that women used to go into red tents and 
and be together you know it wasn't something to be ashamed of it was just actually there was this kind of communal bleed and again in you know my HR days particularly the teams where I worked with purely women like we all did sync to be you know to be in sync with each other and it was like like do not enter the HR office at this week right this is a worse week to come into HR but I think understanding that and by the time of that second burnout I was kind of 34 35 I'd had this ablation at 32 put me straight into menopause my periods had stopped instantly And I think I kind of around that time was then thinking like basically like, holy crap, right? I'm I'm never going to have another cycle again. And actually, should I have been doing more to honour it instead of pushing through and ignoring it and pretending that it wasn't happening every month? And I had actually I'd started my periods at 10. I was put on the pill at 12 because my cycle was extremely heavy. So I'd been put on the pill at 12 years old just to try and uh, steady and calm my cycle but of course some months if I decided I didn't want to have a period I would just continue to take the pill right that's because I that's what I wanted to do if we had a party or a holiday I'd just continue to take the pill and again I think it was only recently you know I think Davina McCall and the stuff that she's been doing around the around the menopause I think has been amazing in allowing all of us to say this is not normal I should be getting more help I should be getting more support but even the stuff that she was doing around the pill, I think there was something that I read literally just a few months ago. Like I'm 43 now. So I had spit on the pill. If I was still there, I'd like 31 years ago, I started on the pill. And um, there was something, but actually the bleed that we have when we are on the pill is not what we would class as a period. What it is, is a withdrawal from the medication that we are on. So again, we're not allowing ourselves to enter into that cycle we're not honoring it it was something that I hated and wanted to avoid at all costs because in my head and again part of what I was taught and told you needed to push through you know as a woman at school you know as a teenage girl periods shouldn't be stopping you as a woman in the workplace a period shouldn't be stopping you you push through so even the months where I had excruciating pain and I you know I I had very very painful very very heavy bleeds right from kind of day one at 10 years old but I never ever gave into it you know if I had a day off it was literally because I could not stand not because I needed it and my sister lived in Ibiza she's a sound and yoga therapist She'd lived in Ibiza for years and I used to message her sometimes. Uh, and this was literally years ago. And she'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm not responding. You know, I'm going to respond today, but I'm not responding to any more messages this week because I'm just being with my bleed. I'm honouring my bleed. And I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you, right? This is not what we do, right? Why aren't you working? Why aren't you pushing? Why are you doing this stuff? And she'd be like, I'm just honouring my bleed this month. And I'd be like, you're balmy, right? Absolutely bonkers. But actually, I think, you know, I think she I think she had it right. That's exactly what we should be doing. And we don't. The workplace isn't designed for us. I'm sure lots of people will then say, you know, well, if you need that, you know, if you need a week off every month, you shouldn't be working anyway and, and all of that stuff. But I think we have to we have to understand that we go through different cycles. And now in my own work, in my own business, Although I don't have a bleed, I actually track my moods throughout the month. I know the weeks that I am more creative. I know the weeks that I am more withdrawn. I know the weeks that I am more social. And I appreciate the weeks where, you know, where I need that, that more kind of rest. And I, as much as possible, plan my diary and my events and my work around that cycle having begun to begun to track it. And that seems to be making quite a big difference to 
not just my kind of creativity and innovation, but also how I am able to, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge introvert, but on the weeks actually that I am, you know, my social kind of butterfly self, they're the weeks that I can have better conversations. They're the weeks that I can put myself out there a bit more. So it's, it's working for me. Oh, Kelly, honestly, I'm sitting here just lapping all of this up because there's like so many things that you have said already and I, I would imagine that Bridget's the same where I go oh crap yeah I did that yeah I did that too and you know there's, there's almost like the two of you acknowledging that you've had burnout I don't think I've ever acknowledged those moments ever where I have crashed and burned literally in a job and thankfully they got rid of me because I was nearly at the point of getting rid of myself but I've never called it that and I'm Mm. I'm sitting here thinking oh my lord you know all of those things that you have been talking about that I have allowed me to do to myself the being pissed off with people who are properly looking after themselves at work and really feeling very intolerant of them Mm -hmm. but mainly because probably somewhere in me realised I should be doing that for myself and I wasn't. So it was easier to be pissed off at them than taking a good long look inward at what I was allowing myself to contend with. And I think while I'm, I'm here listening, absorbing and going, oh my God, on more than one occasion, I'm interested in to know if there was an absolute moment in either the first or the second one probably the second one I would imagine but yep was there was there one thing where you suddenly went enough or has it just been all of those years since of getting it every day and committing to trying to do something to properly look after yourself uh, I think there were two I would say two pinnacle moments and and actually burnout one and burnout two I think manifested for very different reasons and the definition by the World Health Organization tells us that burnout is chronic stress um, so chronic stress is high stress that's been been manifesting for a very long period of time you know, if you were to google chronic stress and the the impact of chronic stress you get lots of lovely stuff that comes up you know around kind of heart disease and stroke and high blood pressure and diabetes so lots of us assume that we're at burnout and we're not we're just a bit tired and we need a bit of a holiday whereas actually true burnout as as is defined by the world health organization is chronic Mm -hmm. stress but there's a an organization actually called softer success and they've Uh, recently done some research with I think it's King's College London and they said that there was a new kind of burnout that was linked to moral injury and what they mean by moral injury is where we are seeing things that are going wrong around us wanting to stop the things that are going on around us that we see as unjust or unfair that is creating this moral injury and that's where we push Mm. to And I've had a conversation with Cara who um, kind of instigated this research to say, I don't think this is a new type of burnout because I think actually that's what my burnout number one was. I was working in a toxic environment. I saw all of these behaviours and all of these actions that I could see were wrong, that I could see should not be happening, that I was trying to fight against and show that we needed to do things differently because I still to this day would not say I believe I was at a point of chronic stress within that organisation. What I was fighting against was the toxicity and the immoral and unethical behaviours that I was seeing and thinking that I needed to be the person to fix that. 
I had seven months of pain, the seven months of being admitted in and out of hospital. I was passing out through pain regularly. I was working from my hospital bed. Not once did I think, do you know what? You need to stop. And the pinnacle moment for me in burnout one, even though I had family and friends saying to me, like, you've got to stop, right? This is getting ridiculous. The pinnacle moment for me, I'd had these, I'd had two operations in 48 hours and I was recovering. I was laying on the sofa um, and I think I'd had a day watching kind of mind numbing chat shows. My sons had come in from school. My sons were, what, 12, 12 at the time. And my response to them was, I could see the look on their faces. They were clearly quite worried. And my response to them was like, boys, don't worry. Mum's going to be back at work soon and everything is going to be fine. Because again, I had been told, right, we measure how ill we are based on whether or not we could work. And so that was my response, like, boys, don't worry, like, mum's going to be absolutely fine, I'm going to be back at work soon. And my 12-year-old twin sons came and sat on the coffee table in front of me and took a look at each other. And then one of them said to me, but mum, we don't want you to go back to work because your job's killing you. Wow. And that was the most painful regardless of the fact that I had been experiencing this pain for seven months, that was the most painful moment of that seven months. And that was my like, oh shit moment, right? Something has to change. Because even though I thought I was doing the right thing and and I know now and we can maybe come on to, you know, kind of why our brain keeps us pushing in that way, if that might be useful yeah. um, a little bit later on. But that was like something has to change and i realized you know if i was going to go back to this workplace i needed to be different in amongst the toxicity i needed to show that i could do things differently that i could be myself not try to fit in in order to make the change internally and i went back realized that this toxic workplace wasn't for me and so i left started my own people and change consultancy that was going brilliantly um, i got my first clients within a few months i was growing my team we were winning awards everything was wonderful and that happened like literally instantly you know i'd kind of left corporate within a month i was earning you know a good ton of money i was working with amazing clients all of the stuff that we're told takes forever to grow i was doing it and then i received a phone call that said that my replacement hrd from the organization that i just left had died in her room whilst away on a leadership residential and i didn't know what to feel i can't remember how i felt but i do remember thinking like this has got to stop but i then received a phone call a couple of days later and anybody that's worked in HR will know this well, right? If anybody has ever left under a cloud or any kind of written agreement, it becomes a bit kind of Harry Potterish, right? Like Voldemort, right? They who shall not be mentioned oh, again. Yes. Uh, right? We we see that stuff happening happening as we go. So of course I had I'd been headhunted for this particular position to go in as HRD. But nobody would really talk about the other HRD. So I knew something was happening, but of course it was kind of I suppose, not communicated, but communicated in such a way that just made me kind of think that the other HRDs must have been a bit rubbish. Um, and that's why there was all of this stuff to do. Well, I then received a phone call two days after this message that said that Alison, my replacement, had died whilst away on this leadership residential 
to say that I had not been the first HRD to become seriously ill in that organisation, but actually I'd been the third or fourth. And at that point, I, as any wonderful HR director would do, I reached out to the CIPD to say, hi, what are you doing to support HR directors? Because this is clearly an issue. This is just one organisation. Where else is it happening? And the CIPD said to me, you just, you need to contact your EAP, right? Contact your employee assistance provider. And I just thought not good enough. And there became my quest of wanting to understand more about toxicity in the workplace and wanting to understand more about stress and all sorts. So I, at that point, bearing in mind that I really had not recovered at that point from my first burnout, I had just kept on going and I'd literally left corporate I was the main breadwinner in my family. I had gone straight from corporate, from this toxic workplace, straight into running a business that was making tons of money and we were working with all of these clients. Um, By the end of that first year within my business, I had left my marriage. I had moved house. I was looking after my sons on my own. I'd started a new relationship. He had two stepsons. Like there's nothing that had not changed. And then I get this call that's like, this is what's happening to HR and this quest for then, you know, like I need to be the one that's going to stop this from ever happening to anybody again. And I really threw myself into learning and I was, I started to learn hypnotherapy. I unqualified in things like hypnotherapy and psychotherapy and neuroscience and understanding about stress. And I went full into yoga and understanding the, you know, difference in terms of our physiology and anatomy, how was stress staying in our bodies, what was the impact of our brain, all of that stuff that was happening. And then I hit burnout number two. And I think burnout number two came as a result of not allowing myself to recover from the first, pushing myself thinking that I then had to take on the stress of ensuring that nobody else in HR would ever, ever experience burnout again because the you know CIPD were doing nothing. So it had to be my fight, my battle, my quest. I needed to solve it all. But I was put on some medication because I had started to have blackouts very similar than I had had as a teenager, which they believed as a teenager was petty mal epilepsy. So I was put on um, kind of anti-seizure medication that sent me into a spiral And Christmas Eve 2015, I wanted to end it all, literally wanted to end it all. And I sat on my sofa at home on my own. I'd been kind of going further and further into this dark hole for a a good few months. And I sat there on Christmas Eve. My sons were out with their friends. My partner was kind of going and, and picking up all the rest of the stuff that we needed for Christmas. And I sat on the sofa at home. We Where our house was, we were literally equidistant between the river and the train track. And in my book, I talk about this, but literally I had for hours in my head, would I jump in the river or would I jump on the train track? Would I jump in the river or would I jump on the train track? And I think that I literally say that I think the training that I had done over those years was the reason that I was still here because I knew with the thoughts that were going around in my head, I knew that I I didn't, I didn't want to die. I just needed to stop all this stuff that was going in my head and I didn't know how to stop it. But I knew Something had clicked in in that moment that made me realise that I had to get myself out of this primitive negative part of my brain and back into the logical, rational part of my brain where I could start to make more decisions. And I rang my partner, Mick, and I said to him, you have to come home. I need to speak to you. 
and we sat talking for hours and it was we were kind of doing it step by step what he did which I think was also magical was he didn't try to give me a solution he didn't tell me I was being stupid he didn't try to stop me we just talked it through he listened and I would say you know this is how I'm feeling and he's like well you're not going to do it today are you because it's Christmas Eve okay no and I won't do it tomorrow because that's Christmas day but what about the foot no well you wouldn't do that on Boxing Day because you do you know you wouldn't want to do that to the boys okay yeah okay fine and by the time we had got to the 13th of January right the 13th of January was the day that I was going to take my life I then had this thing I'm not taking any more of that medication and I'm no longer going to allow myself to stay in this cycle and that magic happened by the 27th of December I was starting to feel like myself again it was kind of that quick within three days of not not being on this medication things had started to change something had clearly changed in my brain and that was the that was the pinnacle of, of kind of burnout number two. And I suppose literally since then, I have been prioritising myself, looking after myself on this kind of mission to banish burnout in HR, wanting HR to be happy, healthy and high performing, um, wanting to support HR in whatever way I can, show them that there is a different way. They don't have to be crippling themselves or killing themselves or making themselves ill just to prove their worth. I know that there is a different way and I do, I suppose, make light of it now. But I genuinely believe that I experience now those two periods of burnout to ensure as long as I can keep telling my story, no other HRD will end up in the situation that I did. That's what gets me out of bed every day. Oh, Kelly. The word that's flying around in my head at the moment is intervention. I mean, your boys were an intervention. Mick? was an yeah. intervention yeah and now yeah you you are an intervention you know both for yourself but for others as well it's that just stick in the in the spokes to just stop I'm probably saying the blindingly obvious but I think that that's just what I'm envisaging as you're as you're talking but Bridge and I in, in other episodes have, have been all about the talk and having having that support system like the, the the call but knowing that need to make that courageous step of actually calling out and 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 saying something or somebody being courageous enough like your boys were to go mum stop yeah totally totally we need that support around us and again i think particularly for hr we're kind of led to believe that we don't need it we're kind of led to believe that we are the hr person and therefore everything must fall on our shoulders. And as HR professionals, I think we're kind of told that we, we need to go it alone, that we need to, again, you know, almost kind of have that stealth and that resilience to do all of the stuff that needs to be done. And it's not the case. We may not necessarily have the same support that we give to others internally, but I think that's why it's even more important that we get that support externally. Um, in the last kind of, well, it, throughout my corporate career, really, I was assigned two coaches that really were poisonous absolute poison the difference that coaching made to me whilst i was internally was where i was able to kind of go out and find my own coach exactly. somebody that i felt i could build that relationship with and 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 have that trust with and and have that you know that confidential confidant right who i could talk to anything talk about anything to and who was able to support me and and I suppose again that's part of my driver with my coaching I want to not be that toxic coach and genuinely be there to support other people and I know that the value and the difference it can make 
as an HR director, as an HR leader, when you have that person in your corner that is there just for you? I I completely agree. I think I'm feeling quite isolated as an HRD because you're so busy supporting everybody else, especially a chief exec who often is allegedly Mm -hmm. in the loneliest position. And I agree, they are in a very lonely position, but so are we. I'm shouting it now and yet being very quiet about it and but finding my support system elsewhere because most of the stuff that you're doing in a company, you can't tell anybody to a lot of the time. But I... As a coach myself, I often have found myself, well, not often, but there's been occasions where I have struggled to be willing to contract with an organisation when they have wanted a specific outcome for somebody in the Mm organisation. And well, I wonder who I'm actually coaching here now. Do I stay in this to coach the person and the person who is expecting this outcome when it's clearly not going to be that? But I've actually also walked away and said, I'm not the person that you're after. And I have yep. walked away from whatever the cash is or whatever the situation, because I just think I'm not going to do that for you. You can find somebody mm-hmm. who may well be more limited in integrity that is going to go in and, and, and help you get the evidence you need to get rid of the person or whatever it is. Actually, if you want me to coach you to be courageous enough to have a decent conversation with somebody, then yes, but otherwise, no. So, yes. And I think that's so important. And that integrity is vital, absolutely vital. And, you know, over the years, I've had CEOs that have got in contact with me that have been, you know, our HR director's rubbish and and you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. And I'm like, "Mm, actually, no, because what conversations are you having with your HID? How are you talking to them about this stuff? What difference are you making? And actually, a lot of the time, the HRD is not the problem. No. It's the senior leadership team. So actually, if you want me to, you know, I'll help the HRD, but actually I'm going to be helping the HRD to have better conversations with, with you as a leadership absolutely. team. And if they decide that they do not want to stay, that's their choice. But yeah, I'm, I'm like you, you know, if you want if you want me in to exit somebody, it's not no, happening. Absolutely not. Absolutely not and, happening. Um, and, and, and it may well be that you get me in and then I do something entirely different than you. You're, expect- yeah. you're expecting so yeah. be careful <laughs> totally now one one other question was was around the brain and you said that you might mm. so, so I didn't know if there was any any pieces there that you wanted to bring to the fore yeah I t- again I talk about this a lot so if there are any listeners that have kind of heard me go on this but I think you know we can always have a we can always have a recap right Absolutely. it's always helpful So in essence, and lots of people I'm sure will have heard about the kind of stress bucket analogy, right? So basically we have a stress bucket that everything that we do is a stressor, right? This conversation that we're having is a stressor. It goes into the bucket that, you know, deciding what to wear today, deciding what we're going to drink, getting in the shower, is the temperature right? Every single thing that we do throughout the course of a day is a stressor, goes into our stress bucket. What allows us to empty our stress bucket during the night is our REM sleep. So uh, the dreamlike state that we have, that allows us to empty our stress bucket. If we do not have enough sleep and we do not get enough REM sleep, we wake every day with some remnants of stress left in our bucket. Whereas actually what we want to be able to do is have a great night's sleep, empty our bucket, start every day with a fresh bucket. Therefore, nothing else, you know, we're we're not getting to that point of chronic stress or, or overloaded stress. When we're doing that and emptying our stress buckets, we stay in the intellectual part of our brain. So I kind of describe the brain, if you like, as a, as a kind of, if we imagine like a rugby ball or an American football, 
if we say the top half of that is the intellectual part of our brain. So that's the part where we could be creative and come up with solutions and answers. That's the part of us that stays really positive. The lower half of that ball is then the primitive part of our brain. So that's where we've got the amygdala, the hippocampus, the hypothalamus. And those three things are looking for patterns of behavior, releasing the chemicals and pulling through our fight, fight and freeze response. Now, of course, those patterns of behavior will say, you know, well, actually, last time you were in a stressful situation, eating the donuts was enough to help you get through that situation, right? So what we're going to do this time is we're going to eat the donuts. Or last time you were in this stressful situation, you you drank a bottle of wine and that was the right answer. So that's what we're going to do in this situation, right? So all of those patterns get stored in our brain. So when I talk about the fact that I am still doing all of the unlearning, that part of my brain says for literally all of your life you were operating from rest is bad movement is good right pushing is good this is the stuff that we need to do this is what makes you successful so all of those little things again if we think about it as like our our laptop all of those patterns that are kind of stored on our hard drive are the things that are saying this is this is what we need to do when we stay in a point of stress we stay in that primitive part of our brain so we're constantly in that fight flight freeze response we're constantly looking for old behaviors and we're releasing chemicals that want to keep us safe the reason that part of our brain is called the primitive part of our brain is because it literally is the primitive part of our brain if we go back to kind of caveman cavewoman times that part of our brain has not evolved in the same way as, as everything else has. So if we think about when we were kind of caveman, cavewoman, uh, and I saw something the other week that said that actually cave women were better hunters than cave men. Um, so let's say when the cave women were out hunting, if they were going out to provide the food and they were on red alert looking for wild animals, right, that they were going to kill, they were going to hunt, they were going to take back to the village that was going to feed the rest of the community they were on red alert looking for those animals. They weren't thinking now would be a really great time to sit down and have a bottle of champers, right? Because they're on they're on red alert all of the time. And the brain is saying, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. If they then get to a point, so they get to an opening and they are surrounded by wild animals and they're like, right, which one do we need to hunt? Again, they are not thinking let's sit down, have a nice picnic, have a nice chat and a bottle of champers, right? They're constantly thinking, we've got to be protecting ourselves, we've got to keep moving, we've got to stay alert. And that's what the brain does to us when we get to that point of chronic stress in today's world. And that's why we don't think that we need to rest. Because I talk about burnout in terms of a scale. If we think of a scale of kind of zero to 10, if we think kind of zero to five, that's our kind of typical everyday level of stress, right? And sometimes it might be up a little bit and sometimes it might go down. Once we kind of cross that threshold between six and 10, we're then not, rest is not the first thing that we think of. So if we can, in this country, in this kind of zero to five level, if that's where we are eating the nutritious food, getting all of the sleep, drinking, staying hydrated, having our exercise, doing all those things, we're never going to get to that point of six. We're never going to cross that threshold because we're doing the preventative things that will keep us safe in that part of the equation. 
if we stop those things and get to get six and beyond, our brain is then literally in fight, flight, freeze response. We're back in that open field with wild animals all around us. Our brain is not saying, do you know what, Kelly? Now would be a really great time for you to just sit and chill because I'm on red alert. I'm looking for the next part of danger. I'm looking for the next thing that's going to come. Now, I would like to think that none of us are in that point anymore where we are surrounded by those wild animals and on that level of red alert. But actually the dangers and the stresses have become that next email, that next meeting, the fact that we don't, you know, we don't turn our phones off in case we get a phone call, in case we get an email. The fact that I think I saw something like the majority of us are picking up our phones at least a hundred times a day to check for notifications, right? Because we're constantly looking for the next thing. We're in fight, flight, freeze response. What if there's an email and I didn't respond to it? What if there's a phone call that I missed? What if I don't respond to a text? What if somebody sends me a WhatsApp and I don't get it? You know, what if, what if all of these things or, you know, somebody rings, I used to think in the lead up to my burnout, every time my CEO wanted a meeting with me, I used to think this is the meeting he's gonna find out I'm a fraud and he's gonna sack me. Oh yes. Every single time. And yet that was never going to happen. But that was the level of danger that I thought that was happening. So our brains, when we're in the logical, intellectual part of our brains, when we're not in that constant level of stress, that's where we are creative, innovative, problem solving, positive solutions, all of those things. But the more time that we spend in the primitive part of our brain on red alert all of the time looking for the next piece of danger... That's where our brain is not saying to us, now would be a really good time to rest because we've got this inbuilt system, these inbuilt patterns that tell us actually rest is dangerous. If you stop, you will be eaten by the wild animals. And that's why we need to be trying to maintain, that's why prevention is so much better than cure. If we can stay in this zero to five levels of kind of everyday stress and do all of the preventative stuff, right? All of the stuff that we've said we all know we should be doing, but we don't. That's the stuff that keeps us here. Once we've crossed that threshold, we're just moving further and further, one step closer towards burnout. So our brain is there to keep us safe, but we need to be helping the brain along to make those right decisions by doing all of the preventative stuff to keep us happy, healthy and high performing. Which is actually the stuff in the body. It's not just, it's not... Totally. Kelly, as I said, I stalked your, your website. There are some free tools as well. And one of them that struck me was the 10 core led rules mm. of a stressless life, which incorporate quite a lot of what has been mm-hmm. discussed here. And, and as you say, these sort of simple things that we often don't do. We're coming up to the end of this episode right now, but I just wanted to give a shout out to your book, Mind the Gap, Story of Burnout, Breakthrough and Beyond. It um, is. Yes. Thank you. So We'll add that into the links. Yeah. And then there are, you know, your CV is on there. Your website is on there and your podcast. What was the name of the podcast, Kelly? Frazzled is the podcast. So if anyone wants to hear more from Kelly, then go and listen to her podcast Frazzled, which is fabulous. Perfect name to get more wisdom and I suspect more woo woo from Kelly in terms of how to avoid and how to prepare yourself and how to protect yourself before you end up 
going down that black hole of burnout absolutely thank you so much thank you and can i just say you've just mentioned that free resource on there just very very quickly the reason it is stress less and not stress free yeah. is because we all need stress in our lives right we need stress to motivate us to help us achieve our goals to get us out of bed in the morning so if anybody if you mm. are being sucked into anybody that is promising you stress free you'd never ever want to be stress free we might call it adrenaline we might call it drive we might call it purpose we might call it determination but every single one of us needs a healthy level of stress to get us out of bed in the morning thank you so much kelly kelly we always finish our episode with a quote so one of them is around one of your core values which i love when you say about integrity doing the right thing even when no one is looking the other one that i love that you say is a good morning comes from the night before and i think the things that you've talked about have really shown that about setting yourself up for the next day love that and then my final one which is an anonymous i don't know where i found it but i love this burnout is what happens when you try to avoid being human for too long completely that i suppose is the premise of of my book Uh, mind the gap in that actually the further we are from who we truly are at the core the bigger the gap that we create between who we are and who we're presenting at the bigger the gap we have for burnout to fill absolutely kelly thank you so much i can talk to you for flipping hours that has been amazing amazing and thank you for giving your time thank you for having me thanks everybody thanks for listening All of Kelly's details are on our website, so be sure to check them out. And you have another podcast to add to your list if you aren't already an avid fan. Next week, to recognise it's time to talk day, we are talking about those three little words, I am fine, and what that can mean. Come join us for being fine with not being fine. See you then.